if anyone's life was marked by drastic ups and downs, it would be Jacob's. As a matter of fact, when Pharaoh later asked him how old he was, Jacob responded by saying, The days of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Much of that evil that came into his life was due to his own conniving to attain blessing that God had already promised to him. And yet through it all, God was faithful to Jacob and fulfilled his promise to bring him back safely to Bethel and the house of his father. At this point in his journey, Jacob is at an extremely low point. He's gone through a life-changing experience with God at Peniel, where his name was changed to Israel. He has re-entered the land of promise, but he has not yet returned to Bethel. Jacob had grown complacent and self-satisfied. His relationship to the Lord was passive, even though he did build an altar at Shechem. However, Shechem was not Bethel where God told him to go. Shechem became a huge stumbling block to his family and put it in jeopardy of the the very covenant blessing of God. Jacob is now at a place where his faith is evaporating and his fears are elevating. Jacob needed to get back to Bethel, the place where God originally met with him and gave him a great promise. There, Jacob also made a vow to the Lord that if God would keep him and bring him back safely to his land, he would make a commitment to God. He would make the Lord his God. It seems at this point, Jacob has really forgotten about that vow, and now the Lord has to remind him of his previous commitment by calling him back to Bethel. Jacob responds positively, and his faith is revived. His journey now can go forward with the Lord, grow and prosper, and prepare him to meet even more trials ahead. We, too, experience low points in our spiritual journey. We grow lax in our walk with God. We become complacent in our circumstances. Perhaps we even commit sin and don't do anything about it. At such times, we also need renewal. We need to get back to Bethel, the place where God meets us, and we meet with God. It is then that God can confirm his promises to us and continue to bless us along life's way until he's finished with us. Our Heavenly Father, we pray this morning, as we again review the walk of Jacob that you would help us to be encouraged. Just as Jacob had many ups and downs in his life, so we experience uh, similar uh, things in our life. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us not to uh, get complacent in our faith, uh, not to be apathetic about the things of God, but, Lord, seek to uh, put the sin and the temptations and the downtimes behind us and always be moving forward and upward in our walk with you. We pray, Lord, you'll bless us with your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, as we look at uh, chapter 35 in Genesis this morning, the first thing we note here is the call back to Bethel and the renewal of faith in the life of Jacob. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. So God's call reminds Jacob of his commitment. Now, the current situation, remember, Jacob obeyed the Lord's directive to leave Paddan Aram and return to Canaan and his family. And on his return, he made a peace contract with Laban. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord at Peniel, and he reconciled with his brother Esau. All those were good things that he did in faith. However, for some reason, he settled in Sukkoth, which was not really in the land of uh, uh, Canaan, and he built some permanent dwellings there. Then he crossed into Canaan, and he settled near Shechem. And that period lasted about 10 years. Now we know the calamitous results of his procrastination. And uh, back in chapter 34, verse 30, we find that Jacob is full of fear and self-pity, not faith and obedience to the will of God. So soon after that event, the Lord speaks to Jacob again. And he gives to him these four commands. Arise, go up, dwell, and make an altar. And since Jacob has not taken the initiative, well, God renews his command to him. And the verbs, uh, the tense of the verbs here convey to us uh, a sense of urgency that Jacob is uh, to do this immediately, not to keep procrastinating. So the Lord is uh, reminding Jacob of his prior commitment. Jacob had promised at Bethel that he would return there and he would build an altar. Uh, The Lord came to him when he was fleeing his brother Esau at one of the lowest points of his life, gave him that great promise to be with him, and he's experienced that all along the way. But Jacob has long delayed fulfilling his part of the vow, and that brought him a lot of unnecessary trouble in his life. So now it's time for him to wake up, renew his faith, and get back to the place where God wants him. Sometimes the Lord has to do the same thing to us. We're prone to backslide. We're prone to fall to temptation. Uh, Sometimes we we might get apathetic about our relationship to the Lord. Uh, We may become satisfied with the status quo or just going through the motions of church life. We lose our zeal, our sense of dedication and commitment. And it's those times that the Lord has to prod us with his word. And that's why it's so important for us to be in the word of God on a daily basis, be under its admonition. And it's only through the word of God that faith can be revived. And this very passage may be used even this morning to revive someone who needs it to get back to Bethel. So let's listen to uh, the whole passage here and what's happening in the life of Jacob. Now, in the next couple of verses, we see that Jacob's faith apparently is renewed. And this is demonstrated in his obedience and the consecration of his family. 
Verse 2 says, Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, these three commands, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Okay, so what does he mean by all this? Well, first of all, uh, you need to put away your foreign gods, the teraphim. Do you remember when uh, Rachel stole those teraphim from her father? Uh, and hid them, well, it could possibly be they're still in her possession. And uh, uh, it likely referred to, to any similar teraphim taken from the booty of Shechem uh, and the wives uh, of those who were slain. And uh, this could have been something going on uh, in the immediate as well as in the past. So a return to Bethel is only possible if Jacob's family determines to follow the Lord alone, and so they have to put away these these false images. Then he says, purify yourselves, indicating cleansing uh, from any defilement caused by previous sins and associations with false worship. And of course, we know in the Old Testament, physical cleansing is a symbol of spiritual purity. And it will become a major part in the law of God regarding worship. That you have to be uh, clean on the outside, which uh, symbolizes your cleanliness on the inside. And then he says, change your garments. Well, again, this is something familiar to us. And it will, again, be part of the law. But this is associated with a different way of life, a new way of life. Of taking off the old and putting on the new. Paul uses similar terminology in his teaching of the old man versus the new man. We put off the old way of life, the old person, the old man, the old characteristics, and we put on the new man in the Lord Jesus Christ, much like you would take off your old dirty clothes and take a shower and put on fresh clean ones. So the idea here is preparing yourself, consecrating yourself to the God who you are going to worship. So a return to Bethel demands a renewed consecration to faith and obedience to the God of Bethel. Now, Jacob then states what he's going to do. Look, if you will, at verse uh, 3. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, that's obedience to God's command, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So Jacob states he's going to fulfill his vow that he's really been putting off for a decade. He reaffirms that God has kept his word to him all the way through to this day, uh, from that distressful day when he fled from his brother. God's been faithful to Jacob. Now, Jacob's household uh, complies to this in verse 4. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings from uh, uh, which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them or he buried them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. So the old life is really kind of buried there at this place. And the new life is going to begin from this point forward. The family is now ready to, to journey back to Bethel in faith. And really for the Christian, this makes us think of passages like Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. 
where it says, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So just like Jacob, we, we put away from us uh, anything that may hinder our walk with God. Sin and apathy, procrastination, lack of service, complacency, whatever it might be, we kind of uh, bury it under the oak tree and we move away from that. Uh, we need to confess our waywardness. We need to bury it. We need to leave it behind and move forward in faith. So this is what's going on in the life and family of Jacob. Now, in the next few verses, we see that Jacob arrives safely at Bethel, and he does finally fulfill his vow. Verse 5 says, They journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Now, that's important because it shows us that in renewed faith, God alleviates Jacob's fears. You remember that as a result of his son's retribution on the Shechemites, that Jacob was afraid his family was now going to get wiped out by the surrounding tribes and nations. But when he renews his faith and heads out as God has commanded him to do, God protects him on the journey. He sends his terror into the hearts of the people there, who now realize that this is not a peaceful tribe after all. They're really pretty ferocious. And the fear of God uh, uh, overtook them so that they would not hunt down and wipe out the family of Jacob. And when we're not walking close to the Lord, the fears of life can often overwhelm us. We worry about things instead of giving them to the Lord. And at those times, we're reminded that our trust must be in the Lord, who is sovereign over all things. And he will guide us, he will keep us, he will protect us. Now, uh, verse 6. <clears throat> Jacob came to Luz, that's the place that this was originally named, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. So once again, he arrives safely at this location, and he builds an altar there, and he calls the place El Bethel. All right, now previously, you remember the story. When God met him in this place, he named the place uh, a sacred name, Bethel, meaning house of God. So he's commemorating the place uh, which reminds him of the event of God coming and meeting with him there. And you remember he set that pillar up as a reminder. But now he stresses not so much the place name as the personal name. El Bethel means the God of the house of God. So now he's stressing the person that met with him, not so much the place and that kind of indicates to us that uh, he is finally at the point where God is going to be his Lord. Uh, God is going to be the one who instructs him. And he's, he's uh, entering a personal relationship, so to speak, with the Lord. 
And we can go to a place of worship, uh, someplace we would consider sacred, like a church building. And we can go in there, we can go through the motions, but are we worshiping God or just coming together to a place where we do certain things? Do we have a vital living relationship with the God who is in the place where we meet? Now, <clears throat> the next thing that we note here, as after Jacob gets right with the Lord, his faith is renewed, now the Lord comes to him again. And the Almighty God of Bethel confirms his blessing to his renewed servant. And so this is a very important um, uh, time in Jacob's life, and it begins here uh, giving us what happens in verse 9. And we have, first of all, the blessing of a changed name. <clears throat> so in response to his renewed faith, God comes to Jacob, and he blesses him in a couple of different ways. So let's take a look here at verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. Now this is interesting because we, we've stressed the idea that Jacob has always striven to be blessed in some way. And here we find that Jacob uh, realizes a blessing that he does not strive for, that he does not try to obtain by some other means. Finally, when his faith is right, when he's walking with the Lord, the Lord blesses him, and Jacob hasn't had have to do anything to receive that blessing. Now, God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Now that reminds us of that wrestling uh, when Jacob met an adversary and uh, he was incapacitated, but even in that state, he clung so closely to this person that he wouldn't let him go until he got a blessing. And uh, that personage, that angel of the Lord, uh, asked him what his name was. And he told him Jacob, and then he renamed him Israel. But now it is God himself naming Jacob in this way, and there's no negative connotation regarding the meaning of that name as previously there was. Heel snatcher, trickster, deceiver. Jacob is now going to be known as Israel, the one who bears the national name of God. So it's a very significant event, although it's repeating in some ways what has already gone forward or, or gone in the past. So those who come to God in faith, well, don't we also have a change in name, so to speak? We become a true Christian. Instead of a sinner, we become a saint. Uh, instead of uh, uh, a person who's lost, we become a person who's saved. So our life changes. So we have a new nature that overcomes the old nature, and we can now please God with our life. The old things are passed away. Everything has become new. So this is a very significant spot in Jacob's life. It's not that he hasn't believed in God in the past. It's not that he hasn't had some faithful experiences. But now uh, the blessing is 
passed directly to him from God. And note here in verses 11 through 15, uh, who it is that speaks to him in this uh, renewed blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. Verse 11, God said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. This is the name by which the patriarchs knew God as El Shaddai. It's the name God used when he made his covenant known to Abraham. And it alludes to the God who is uh, sovereign over all things. It's used in context where he appears as the source of fertility and life. He's the sovereign king of the world who grants, who blesses, and who judges. And now he's coming to uh, bless uh, Jacob once again with that Abrahamic covenant. And the promise expands a little bit in this final application. He first of all says, be fruitful and multiply. Well, uh, that's already happened, hasn't it? Uh, Jacob's got 11 sons now. He has been fruitful, but this would seem to indicate, okay, now we're going to go beyond Jacob. We're going to go to his sons and then their sons and on and on. So the repetition of that idea goes then to the next generation. Uh, He goes on to say that a nation now, not a people, but a nation and then a company or a uh, community of nations shall proceed from you. Of course, that nation is going to be Israel. And uh, Israel is going to have many kings. And he mentions that as well here, that kings are going to descend from him as well. And finally, the promised land that God graciously gave to Abraham and to his father Isaac, that promise is now given to Jacob. So these are the patriarchs uh, through whom God worked to bring about his nation. All right, so in response to God's repetition of this covenant, Jacob consecrates the event by setting up another pillar. Down in verse um, 13. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So again, the Lord appears to him. Uh, it doesn't say it was a dream or a vision. So in some way, we call a theophany. God met with him. Then God goes back up into uh, heaven. And then verse 14, Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel. So he renames it again uh, in commemoration of the second meeting with God who was there. So the pouring out of a drink offering and the oil, those are symbols of consecration. They're symbols of dedication. Jacob, in his renewed faith, is kind of saying, Amen, to what God has revealed here. He's committing himself to what God has uh, given to him by way of further promise. And this place, Bethel, will be a constant reminder to future generations 
of God's fulfilled promises to the patriarchs, which culminate in the nation that is to be set apart by God. And these promises expand uh, really to all who in the future will make uh, the Lord their God through faith in Christ, and though those will enter the house of God, the household of God as well through faith. All right. Now, this is God's dealing with Jacob, but this is not the end of Jacob's story, not quite yet. He still has not come back home to where his father dwells. And part of his promise was, if the Lord will bring him safely uh, back to the place of his father, then he will make him his God. So let's take a look here at uh, uh, the other events in the chapter. And we see that in renewed faith, Jacob continues to face difficulties in life. We all know that our walk with God is not always a bed of roses. Um, Paul wrote, we must through tribulation enter the kingdom of God. But the sorrows that Jacob now incurs are not of his own making. And he has to handle these through faith. So the first thing we know is back in verse 8. And Jacob suffers the death of loved ones. Look at verse 8. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alan Bakuth. Well, you remember that when it was agreed that um, <clears throat> Rebekah would uh, be the wife of Isaac, her handmaid was Deborah. So she came out of Padanaram uh, with Rebekah, and I'm sure that she was pretty much like a second mother to Jacob. So there would have been a very close relationship between these two people. And uh, she's buried here uh, at this uh, oak tree. Actually, Alan Bakuth means oak of weeping. So that expresses the sorrow of that occasion. And we might wonder, well, why is the nurse of Rebecca mentioned here? But we have no indication of Rebecca's death of, of where she's buried. Well, some believe that perhaps her name has been left out of this because she deceived her husband, uh, Isaac, along with Jacob. And that may be God's way of, of uh, not honoring her because of that deception. Now, uh, we come to verse 16 and the death of Rachel and the birth of Benjamin. So here's another um, trial that Jacob has to face here. Now, verse uh, 16 tells us, Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. All right, he's heading down to Hebron, or Mamre, where uh, Father Isaac lives. So he wants to go there, uh, that's where he said he would uh, 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 go and God would, would bless him all the way he's there. And now they're on the way to, to there. And as they're traveling, Rachel, 
who is obviously with child, goes into labor. And it's hard labor. It's difficult labor. What are you guys doing? You pay attention to the preaching of God's word. All right, so she's going into labor here. It says it's hard labor, so it's difficult labor. It's, It's problematic labor. And verse 17 says, Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you'll have this son also. Now remember when she gave birth to Joseph, she kind of uh, said a prayer to God, uh, asking God uh, for another son. May the Lord add another son. So the midwife might have been aware of that and said, Well, um, you know, don't, don't fear, uh, you're going to have a son. So that would be an answer to her prayer when she had Joseph. But the problem is that this birth causes her death. And her last words as she departs, as her soul departs, for she died, she names her son Benoni, which actually means son of my sorrow or son of my uh, pain, son of my suffering. And you can understand why she would say that because it's actually causing her to die. But Jacob called his name Benjamin. And this is kind of a play on words. Jacob doesn't want his son to be a reminder of the sorrow of his mother's death. So he changes it a little bit. And Benjamin means son of my right hand or son of my strength, or son of my wealth. Okay? So the name is changed. And Rachel, uh, of course, we know she was the beloved wife. She's the one that Jacob began working for, and this certainly caused him great grief at her passing. So what does he do? He sets up another memorial stone. Verse 19. Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, which is near Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. That will be memorialized at other events in the future of Israel that we won't really go into at this time. But again, Jacob goes through these times of great sorrow, losing people that are very close to him, very dear to him. But something else also happens that is uh, something that uh, I'm sure is discouraging and dismaying to him. And we read this in verse 21. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Billah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. So Jacob now suffers the infidelity of his oldest son, Reuben. He's already been dismayed by the acts of Simeon and Levi at Shechem, and now he's got to face another sinful indiscretion on the part of his firstborn. So as they're they're heading south again, they make camp here at this place called the Tower of Eder, and there Reuben commits adultery with Bilhah, who is now named the concubine or a lesser wife of uh, Jacob. And uh, uh, this was more 
than an act of immorality, although that was bad enough. Because it demonstrated, on Reuben's part, great disrespect for his father, and it was likely a play to receive the inheritance of Jacob as head of the family by taking one of his wives for himself. And beyond that, it also uh, may have ensured in Reuben's mind that Bilhah would not replace Rachel as the most favored wife in the family. And you remember that Reuben is the firstborn of the family. He's the son of Leah, the unfavored wife, and that may have come into play as well. Bitterness over perhaps the way Leah is treated in, in uh, comparison to Rachel. So all kinds of improper motivations are displayed in what Reuben did. And again, Jacob learns of this act, but he holds his peace. He doesn't do anything about it right now. But later on, we're going to find Reuben does not receive the inheritance. He does not receive the promise. As a matter of fact, he uh, actually receives an anti-blessing from his father. He is as unstable as water and will not prosper. So Reuben will get his own later on. So now what we have is the disqualification of covenant blessing on the first three sons of Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. So who is the next son in line? Well, we find out here as the sons are are named uh, in not necessarily birth order, but in order of importance and primogenitor. So Reuben, Simeon, Levi, the fourth son is Judah. Okay? Then Issachar and Zebulun. And finally, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, and uh, Billah's sons, uh, Dan and Aphtali. So we have now the firstborn son of Rachel, who also could be in line for primogenitor, Joseph. And the storyline continues, who is going to receive the covenant blessing? Is it going to come through Judah or is it going to come through Joseph? And there's a lot of conflict that's going to be going on. So not only does Jacob face these difficulties within his family up to this point, those things aren't going to end. He's going to endure more heartache down the road. And as we journey through life, well, our faith has to carry us through these times as well. All of us are going to face the death and the sorrow of loved ones who pass on before us. And our faith in God helps us get through those times and experience the Lord as the God of all comfort. And all of us will face that at some point in time. We also suffer many disappointments that come our way from people, even those who are in our own family. And again, we're reminded we're all sinful creatures. We can all disappoint others as well as they disappointing us. And only through faith uh, can we bear up under those difficulties and uh, repent of sin, rebuke when it's necessary, forgive when we should, and trust God to help us to be at peace as much as possible. 
So our faith in the Lord helps us through these difficult times. Well, the last thing we see here is in verses 23 to 29. Despite life's trials, God's promises hold true. We come down here uh, to uh, verse 27. Jacob finally makes it home. He came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. So this seems to be the general area where the patriarchs settle, uh, even though they're in this nomadic lifestyle. So uh, he's finally come full circle to the event, the first event at Bethel. He's safe and sound. God promised that he would bring him to that point safe and sound. So the Lord has kept his word, and he's helped Jacob now to keep his word. It has been a journey of more than 30 years, but God has proven himself faithful. Jacob finally takes his place now in the homeland of his father and his grandfather. And then we see finally the passing of uh, one generation to another as Isaac now is about to die. Now this is not going to occur uh, yet for several years, but he brings it in at this point to end uh, pretty much the story of Isaac and move forward to the sons of Jacob. So we're told in verse 28, now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Well, Isaac's kind of been out of the picture for quite a while now, yet his role was very important. And even after death, he will forever be mentioned in the adage of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The Lord is the God of the living, not of the dead. And the death of one generation does not deter the progress of God's promises. The new generation of promise is now going to replace the old. Jacob has renewed his faith. He's returned to the land. He's received a fresh blessing from God. The question now remains, what's going to happen in this new generation? What direction is it going to take? Where is it going to end up? And we are reminded that every generation is responsible to receive the promises of God by faith and to live faithfully in them. There may be many times that our faith uh, needs to be renewed, but God will remind us of our commitments to him and we have to respond to those reminders in faith like Jacob did so the Lord can refresh his blessings to us, give us the strength we need to carry on as we meet life's challenges. So where are we this morning? Are we at Bethel or do we need to get back to Bethel? Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for the encouragement of your word. And as we've studied the life of Jacob, we've seen many ups and downs and backs and forth. 
And we're thankful, Lord, that in the end, Jacob renews his faith and uh, comes to the place where you originally wanted him. And Lord, it just simply reminds us that we too have our struggles with faith in this life. And sometimes we go back and need to move forward. Sometimes we go sideways. Uh, Sometimes, Lord, uh, we just need your prodding to help us to move forward to where we ought to be. Lord, help us to be reminded that uh, the progress in the Christian life is ever upward and forward, even though at times it may seem quite slow. So Lord, bless us with these thoughts. Help us, Lord, to stay at Bethel where you meet us and we can meet you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.